the book of 1 John chapter 1. <coughs> Somebody didn't want me to ever run out of water. I have got a whole case of water in there. And I do appreciate it. I know some of you folks have been suffering with allergies pretty bad too. Walk out in the pasture and I can't hardly see to walk back to the house. First John chapter 1, I want to read, a, a, I'm sorry, First John chapter 2, I said chapter 1, didn't I? I meant chapter 2, don't, don't go where I tell you to go, go where I really want you to go, go to chapter 2. First John chapter 2, now I'm skipping ahead, I realized that a week ago I began preaching in First John on Sunday mornings, but this one I think is more geared for Sunday night, and instead of just preaching I want to teach to the church to my church family, to the children of God that are here tonight. And I really want you to pay attention to this message. I'm going to talk to you about growing up Jesus. 1 John chapter 2, let's start reading in verse 12. John says, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Verse 13, I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because you have known him that's, that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And then many of you, or most of you, probably know this verse here. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Father, tonight open our hearts and minds. Bring us here into the moment with you to focus on your word, what it is you're saying to us. I pray that the ears of our heart, the eyes of our heart, uh, God, our understanding would be open and we wouldn't be concerned about anything else but about you and your word for the next 20 to 30 minutes. Father, we would listen very closely what it is you're saying to us. We would know after this message, this study tonight, we would know, number one, if we're your children, and if we are, number two, we know what stage of growth, spiritual maturity we're in. And then number three, I pray we'd be encouraged to continue to grow through your word and by your guidance. In Christ's name, amen. Now the Apostle John begins, look back at verse 1 of chapter 2. He begins by addressing his readers as little children. First part of that verse, verse 1 of chapter 2, My little children, these things... Write I unto you. Now the Greek word for children that John uses is the word technia. And it literally means born ones. And it's a generic term used by John for all believers. What he's doing, he's calling all born again Christians little children. Uh, and, and who he's referencing is, is all Christians. Then and now, by the Holy Spirit referencing Christians now, he's calling all of them uh, born-again ones, or born believers. All people who are born into the family of God, and to be qualified to be in the family of God, you have to be born into the family, amen? Now, there are those who want to tell us today that all of us are God's children, that uh, uh, God is all of our Father, 
and that all of us are brothers and sisters. They want to teach the universal fatherhood of man and the universal brotherhood or the universal fatherhood of God and the universal brotherhood of man. You know, God's every man's father. All of us are equally brothers. That's not true because you know this and I've preached on it before. God is the father of every man. He is the creator of every man, but He's not the father of every man. The only way God's your father is if you're His child. The only way you can be His child is if you're born into His family. And the only way you can be born into His family is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Son. Amen. Everybody's clear on that. We all know that. So, uh, we're not we're not all God's children. We're all God's creation. But not everybody on the wor- in the world is God's children. Nor are we all brothers. Jesus said, only he who does the will of my Father which is in heaven is my brother or my sister. Now, in one sense, we ought to remain as children. Now, for example, Christian, in the area of our faith, we ought to always be childlike. Uh, like a child trusts their father, as Christians, we should trust God. Amen? In fact, you can't even get in the kingdom of heaven uh, unless you come in like a child. Jesus said, Matthew 18, verse 3, Truly I say to you, unless you're converted and become as little children, you should not enter the kingdom of heaven. So in one sense, Christian, we should stay or remain childlike, remain children. But in another sense, we're not to remain children because immediately after a person is born again, they should begin to grow in Jesus Christ. Peter says in 2 Peter 3, 18, that we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, just as you want, and I know I'm this way, just as you want your children to grow up, God also wants His children to grow up. We're told in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 52, it says, And Jesus kept growing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. Now, you know what that means? That means Jesus, talking about when He was a boy, that He continued to grow. grow. He grew physically, He grew mentally, and He grew spiritually. Now what John is doing, he's writing as a father to his children. And I believe what you see here, you really get to see the pastor's heart of the old apostle. Because I'm going to tell you, it's every pastor's desire that uh, his family, his church family, that they begin to grow, that they begin to mature. And that's John's desire. He wants uh, his uh, uh, brothers and sisters, his spiritual children, as an apostle and as a pastor, he wants them to grow up in Jesus Christ and to become spiritually mature. Again, that's the desire of every pastor's heart. That's a desire of my heart as well. Now, the first thing John speaks to us about are the stages of spiritual growth. Look back at verses 12 through 14. John identifies three levels of maturity, which, by the way, correspond to the basic three levels of physical maturity. He talks about children, young people, and adults. Verse 12, I write unto you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you fathers because you've known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. Now did you see the the, the way he describes it? Children, young people, and adults. I think uh, this before it's an interesting thing. When I look at you, I only see one person. But in reality, there are three people sitting there where you're at. You say, yeah, it feels kind of tight and crowded. Well, no, that's because I'm, I'm preaching, so that, that worries some people. But listen to me. There are three people where you're sitting. There is the person who, uh, that others think you are. There's the person that you think you are. And then there's the person that God knows that you are. 
Now, likewise, anytime I preach, when I preach here at home or, or traveling and preaching, any congregation that I am preaching to, I really see three groups of people. I, I see children, I see young people, and I also see adults. And the interesting thing is, you can't always determine spiritual maturity by the physical maturity. Some of the most mature, most on fire, most excited, exciting Christians that I've ever had the privilege of meeting in my life were young Christians. Now, I hate to break this news to you if you're over my age or a little older, but I want you to listen to me. Gray hair and wrinkles does not always mean that there's a godly heart under the surface. Notice the word children in verse 13. That is a different word in the Greek language than what's used in verse 12. The word in verse 13 to an immature baby, a baby that's not growing. Now, again, there's nothing wrong with being a baby, but we're told in 1 Peter 2, 2, that we're to desire the milk of the word like newborn babes. So again, there's nothing wrong with being a baby, but there's nothing, uh, there's plenty wrong with wanting to stay a baby. Okay, nothing wrong with being a baby. Hey, I love babies, but I like to see babies grow too. I know some of you moms are like, no, babies just grow too fast. Well, dad must be a little bit different because I'm like, whoo, when they're going to get out of that stage? <laughs> and terrible twos last for 26 years. Again, nothing wrong with being a baby, but there's plenty wrong with staying a baby. You see, as Christians, we are to be childlike, but we're not to be childish. Let me explain a little bit more on that. There are several marks of a baby Christian. And I want you to listen uh, tonight. I want you to listen real clear, real close, and I hope it's real clear to what I'm telling you. Because I think every one of us can benefit from this study. I want you to see where you are on the spiritual growth scale. Okay, are you a child, a children, a baby? Are you a young person? Are you a father? So I want you to listen to me this evening. Several marks of a baby Christian. Mark number one is their digestion. I mean, we're told, Paul tells us, 1 Corinthians 3. Now, if you want to get more about 1 Corinthians, be here on Wednesday nights. We're studying through 1 Corinthians. Hadn't made it to chapter 3 yet. We're in chapter 1. We might get in chapter 3 in about 3 months. I, I don't know. But uh, in 1 Corinthians 3, 1, he talks about those babes in the faith there at the church at Corinth. And he says they couldn't eat solid meat of the word. He said, I had to feed you milk. You couldn't take solid meat. Now, babies can't eat solid meat, right? They drink milk. And if they eat food, it's that ABC food. Already been chewed food. You know what I'm talking about? That pureed stuff or whatever. Actually, the carrots aren't too bad. I tried them once, but the rest of it I don't know about. But that's all that a baby can eat or they're going to drink milk. Now, I'm going to say something right here. It's, it's, this is a fact. Folks, the only Bible or the only spiritual food many Christians get is what the pastor spoon feeds them on Sunday morning. You see, a baby, an immature baby especially, they're going to have to be spoon-fed. Why? Because they can will not feed themselves. The second mark of a baby Christian, immature Christian, is division. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 3, and he said that these young, immature baby Christians that couldn't eat the solid meat of God's Word, he said, whoo, they're troublemakers. Because he goes on and says there is fighting and fussing and feuding going on among you. Now think about this, a baby is selfish, amen? I know you think your baby's an angel, your grandbaby's an angel, they're all selfish. I love kids, but let's be honest, they're all selfish. A baby, they want to play with their toy and your toy too. 
And if they don't get what they want, if it don't go just exactly the way they want it to go, what are they going to do? They're going to throw a fit. They're going to fuss. They're going to fight. They're going to cause all kinds of trouble. The third mark of an immature Christian, a baby Christian, <coughs> is the mark of deception. Paul says in Ephesians 4, 14, that we are no longer to be children tossed about by every wind of doctrine. You know, a stranger, and I always thought this was amazing until I had kids, a stranger can walk up to a child, a young child in a park, and with a piece of candy can lead that child away from the parents. Nothing more than something sweet or something shiny, something that that child wants. Now I want you to listen to your pastor. There are some Christians today who are trapped in, in, in cults of one kind or another. There are Christians today who they have been duped into believing false teaching and false doctrine. And the reason they have, now they're Christians, they're saved. But they're very immature, they're baby Christians. The reason they've been duped into cults and this false doctrine, and I'm just going to use this as an example, like the Word of Faith movement, is because they have never grown in Jesus Christ. They're still babes in the faith, so they're easily deceived. Now I want you to see the second phase John talks about in spiritual growth and growing up in Christ. Uh, he talks about young men that we read about. These young men, they're Christians who, they have moved from milk to meat, they've moved from the bottle to the battle. I mean, these Christians Paul's talking about, they've gone from whining and wedding to warring and winning. They have grown. Notice he says the young men, verse 14, we're told that the young man, they're strong, they're vigorous. He says, you're strong and the word of God abideth in you. Listen to me, Christian, God to mature in your faith, but he don't want you to grow old. You understand what I mean? You know, when we grow old physically, we kind of slow down quite a bit, don't we? Thank you, Brother Jim. Nobody else wants to agree with us on that. I'm telling you, I have noticed it tremendously in the last few years. I ain't slowed down a bit, really. Come out to my house this week, we'll build some fence. Let's see if you've slowed down any at all. When you begin to get older, you slow down. Well, a lot of times, let's face it, that's the way it is in the Christian life as well. We mature in the faith, but then we slow down in the faith. And let me say this, you can tell how young you are spiritually by how strong you are in the Spirit. You remember what the Apostle Paul told us in Ephesians 6 verse 10? He said, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. How many of you remember about a year ago, we studied through the book of Joshua on Wednesday nights, Joshua in the Old Testament. Remember, in Joshua chapter 1, Joshua is taking the mantle of leadership of the nation of Israel from Moses. God's called the great leader, called Moses home. Joshua's having to step up and fill the shoes that Moses has left behind. You know what God tells him four times in chapter 1? Joshua, be strong. Be strong. Be strong. Be courageous. Young men, John said they've Strong. You know, I think about some young men in our church as I've studied over this passage. I thought about guys like uh, 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 Ben Shipley on Sunday morning. Some of y'all know Ben, young man, said so. He is a monster. You talk about strong, unbelievably strong. I talk, think about some of these young guys, you know, uh, Brandon Amon. You're not that old, buddy. Uh, young, strong, virile. You know, this morning, I was talking to Josh and, and his family. Caleb ran a 31-mile marathon the other day. 
Did you hear about not, not 31 minutes? He ran 31 miles. I told him this morning, says, son, I don't even like driving 31 miles. <laughs> you know, you talk talking about running. I called Teresa that evening, and uh, I was on the road from somewhere, I think going home, but I called Teresa, and it was after hours. The office was closed, and, and I know some of you know this, some of you don't. Just because the office closes, that doesn't mean Teresa, Damon, and I turn our phones off. Okay, we, we're still on the clock, so to speak, on duty, if you will. But I called Teresa. She answered the phone, and the first thing she said was, run fast, run fast. I said, Teresa, I know you're not talking to me. I ain't run fast in 50 years. But she was talking to one of the grandkids who she's yelling at. Uh, and I'll say this, you ever see me running fast? It's because I run out of bullets. And, and if I'm running fast, you better pick up and join me because something bad's on the way. But I, I thought about this. He said, these young men, they're strong. You know, run 31 miles, lift a truck, and, and all these things. And I thought about this verse, 3 John, uh, the third epistle of John, chapter 1, verse 2. John says, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. Now, we're to keep our bodies in shape or attempt to because it's the temple of the Holy Spirit. But let me ask you this. How much more, Christian, should we work on keeping our souls in shape? Amen? Keeping our spiritual life in shape. I have an idea. And let me say, if, if you were as strong physically as you are spiritually, let me ask you this question. How strong would you be? If you're as strong spiritually... I mean, physically, as you are spiritually, how strong would you be? Now, let me just go ahead and say this. I have an idea that maybe some of you here tonight, if you're in the same physical condition that you are spiritually, you'd be in intensive care right now. Honestly. People talk about, oh, I've got to get in shape, you know, and bodybuilding, lift weights. I've got to get in shape. I think it's time, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I think it's time that Christians begin some soul building instead of just bodybuilding. John says, young men, they, they, they are growing Christians. He says they're vigorous, but they're also victorious. Look at the, look at verse 13 to 14. That word overcome, the Greek word for overcome is the word Nike. Now, all of us know Nike. It's also, you know, famous sportswear, you know, which I boycotted, but that's another sermon. I'll, I'll save that for later. The word Nike means victory. Victory. The young men, what John's saying is they have moved in their spiritual life uh, where they are now, they've moved to the point where Satan is defeated enemy. And they realize Satan is defeated enemy. So they're no longer fighting for victory. Instead, they're fighting from that position of victory. They've realized who they are in Jesus Christ and the victory that belongs to them because of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to ask you this, friend. Have you overcome Satan in your life? Has Satan defeated its foe? So if, if so, then you've at the second level of growth in Christ, of that spiritual maturity. You're a young man. Then the third level of spiritual maturity, John says, is fathers. Now these are Christians who become uh, Christ-like in their character, and they become more like Christ every day. Now notice, I, I thought this was interesting the first time I read this years ago. Notice he identifies children the same way that he identifies fathers. He says they both know. What's the difference between a father and a child? Well, Think about it. It's, it's one thing to know your father as a child. It's another thing to know your father when you become a father too. You know what I'm talking about, guys? I mean, i got to be honest with you. I never, I never knew how much I loved and respected my dad until I became a dad as well. 
A child wants their father to do things for him. But when you grow up, we appreciate everything our father's done for us. Amen. As a child, we want father to give us things. But when we grow up, we want to give things to the father. Incidentally, what does a father have to have to qualify him as a father? Kids. You've got to have children. He's got to reproduce himself. Now, if you're not reproducing, you're not a father. If you don't have spiritual children, if you're not a soul winner, if you're not a disciple maker, then you're not at that level of maturity John calls a father. If you're not going and sowing and discipling, then you're not growing in the Lord. So check yourself out. Where would you be? Would you be a child? Would you be a young person? Would you be a father? Next thing John talks about is those, this th- these things that stunt our spiritual growth. Look at verse 15 through 17. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. John says that there is one thing that will stunt your growth as a Christian quicker than anything else. And that one thing he talks about is the world. Now... I know that I've preached on this. I know I've referenced it before. But Christian, you know you got three enemies, right? you got the world, the flesh, and the devil. Always, always remember this. The world, that's your external enemy. The flesh, that's your internal enemy. The devil, that's your infernal enemy. And listen to this. The Christian, we're to be like, uh, we're to be in the world, but not part of the world. I'll, I'll describe it like this. I heard a preacher say one time, it's like a scuba diver. You're in that water, but the water's not in you. That's the way we are as believers, as Christians. Now we talk about, many times we talk about the, the phrase worldly Christian. We say about a certain Christian, well, you know, they're saved, they're just a worldly Christian. Nonsense. I'm going to agree with Billy Sunday on this. Billy Sunday said it makes it, talking about a worldly Christian makes about as much sense as talking about a heavenly devil. There ain't no such thing. Now, let me give you a definition of the world. How's the word used here? In the Bible, the word world has three different meanings. Sometimes it denotes the physical world. And in that case, it's the world of nature. Well, that's not what John's talking about here. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 17, verse 24, that God made the world and all things in it. Uh, remember back in Genesis, when God made the world, what did he say? It is good. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the world and all that's in it. God gave it to us to enjoy. Nothing wrong with that. That's not the way John uses the word here. Uh, the word sometimes refers to the populated world, refers to humanity. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. He's talking about his love for humanity. But again, that's not what John's referring to here. Now, the Greek word for world, and many of you scholars know this, is the word cosmos. And depending on how it's used depends on the meaning of the word. And so it means here, uh, when he uses the word world, it means an order, a system, an arrangement of things. When he talks about the world, he's talking about this world's system, cosmos. You know, actually, we get our word cosmology and cosmetics from that word cosmos. When a woman, when she applies cosmetics to her face, what is she doing? She's simply ordering, or she is arranging her face. So she goes to bed at night, and when she wakes up in the morning, looks in the mirror, what was once a cosmos is now chaos. So she has to cosmos it again. (laughs) <laughs> she takes those cosmetics, she rearranges, so it looks again like a cosmos. So the word re- that, that John's using for world refers to a total world system. 
uh, the world order that, that, that's ruled by Satan that is against our God and that's against our Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking about the world system. It refers to everything, folks, in the world, of the world, about the world, the total world system that's anti-God, anti-Christ, and anti-goodness. For example, we talk about the world of sports. Or you hear somebody talk about the world of business. That's the sense that John is using this word. Now let's think about the dangers of the world. And, and I can give you the danger of the world real quick. It's anything that lessens your love for God or lessens your desire to do God's will. That's the danger of the world. The greatest sin a man can commit, it's not adultery. It's not murder. You know what it is? Failure to love God. You say, no, the greatest sin is rejecting Christ. Yeah, you're right. Failure to love God. Now, the word appeals to you and I uh, in three ways. The world does. First, it appeals in the area of the flesh. This area of performance. Okay? This is the part of the world that appeals to man's fallen nature. The word flesh there that's used in Scripture, it doesn't mean flesh and bone, uh, you know, or skin and body. It refers to that old nature like that little girl sang about this morning, that old Adamic nature, Adam's fall. It refers to our sinful nature, that flesh. You see, the flesh is not necessarily your body, although many times it does work through your body. <clears throat> now listen, there's nothing wrong with physical desires of the flesh. The problem is that the world so often tries to get us to fulfill those normal desires in abnormal ways. For instance, take hunger. The world will take hunger, turn it into gluttony. The world will take thirst and turn it into drunkenness. The world will take sleep and turn it into laziness. The world will take sex and turn it into adultery or pornography. You see, this is the area of performance. And the world will try to get you to do things that are wrong to fulfill desires that are right. <clears throat> then the world appeals to you in the area of the eyes. Uh, John talks about the, the, the lust of the eyes. The area of the eyes. Do you know that your eyes have an appetite? Somebody say, uh, feast your eyes on this. Are you ever eating so much? You say, whoo, my eyes were bigger uh, than my stomach. Take advertising, for instance, folks. Do you realize that is a trap that appeals to your eyes? And advertising. Look what you get if you drink this beer. Look how popular you'll be. Look at, look at the, the friends you'll have and the people you'll attract if you drive this kind of car or wear these kinds of clothes. So it makes us want things that we either don't need or that we cannot afford. Then there's the area of pride. The word for pride that's used here is a word in the Greek It describes a braggart or a boaster. Somebody who desires to be number one at all costs. Let me ask you something. Why do people get head over heels in debt? What do you think it is? Because of pride. You know, I've quoted this many times, but Will Rogers hit, hit it best. He said, why do we spend money we don't have to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't like? It's so frustrating. I mean, you borrow money to keep up with the Joneses, and about the time you catch up with them, they either refinance or move. You know what I'm saying? The area of pride, what causes this behavior? Well, it's a desire to be number one above everybody else, and it's a desire to have uh, everyone notice you, even if it's only for a short time, and it doesn't matter what it costs. Pride. So in the three ways, the world will appeal to you. In your performance, your possessions, and your pride. Now, incidentally, uh, you may not realize this, that's exactly the three areas in which Satan 
tempted the Lord Jesus Christ in the wilderness. <coughs> he, he told Jesus, he said, I know you're hungry. Turn these stones to bread. Area of performance. Area of the performance. Fulfill the desires of your flesh. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world if you'll just fall down and worship me, the desire of your eyes. And then he told Jesus, he said, go ahead. You know, you're the son of God. Cast yourself down from the temple. The angels will, will pick you up. The area of pride. Show me and everybody else who you really are. <clears throat> now, think about the dissipation of the world. Look at verse 17. First part of verse 17. It says, and the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. Folks, and I hope you understand this. Satan, he rules a doomed kingdom. He's captain of a sinking ship. Friend, if you are living for this world, you're following a loser. You know, you hear people say all the time, uh, well, I'm telling you just as sure as the world. I got news for you. This world ain't very sure. I mean, have you not been paying attention to what's going on lately? This world is not sure, so listen to me, friend. If you're living for this world, you're painting, painting the deck on a sinking ship. It's not going to do you a bit of good. There's a third thing. We've seen the stages of spiritual growth and the, the, what stunts spiritual growth. Now let me share with you some steps okay, for spiritual maturity, spiritual growth. Now any normal, healthy person wants to grow. You agree, you agree with that? So does, I believe, every normal, healthy Christian. There are certain things you have to do physically if you're going to grow physically. You have to eat, you have to sleep, you have to exercise, study, uh, read. Likewise, there are certain things you need to do spiritually if you're going to grow. And number one, Christian, you need to do this. The first thing is, you need to saturate yourself with the Word of God. Notice verse 14. I have written unto you, fathers, because you've known Him that's from the beginning... Notice this. I've written unto you, young men, because you're strong. Why are they strong? And the word of God abideth in you. That's where the strength comes from. The word for abide means to live with or to take up residence with. The word of God has to live with you and in you, and you have to live with it and in it if you're going to grow in Christ. There's no way, Christian, listen to me, no way you will grow if you're not in the word of God. You want to know God, you want to be holy, you want to be filled with the Spirit, then you must consistently, daily, read and study the word of God for yourself. It's not enough for you just to come on Sundays and get what the preacher's preaching or teaching. You have to take that responsibility upon yourself to study, to read, to apply, and to grow in your Christian life. R.A. Torrey, a great preacher of yesteryear, said this, You may talk about power, but if you neglect the one book that God has given you, the one instrument through which He imparts and exercises His power, you will not have it. 99 Christians in every 100 are merely playing at Bible study. Therefore, 99 Christians in every 100 are mere weaklings when they might be giants, both in their Christian life and in their service. I want you to notice verse 14 again. These young men, they overcome the evil one when the word of God made its abode in them. Now, Christian, the way to defeat the devil is through the sword of the Spirit. Amen? You're not going to whip him on your own. You can't beat him on your own. The way you defeat the devil is through God's Word. But I'm going to tell you something. The devil's not afraid of a Bible that's got dust all over it. He's not afraid of a Bible that's never used any more than a soldier is scared of a sword that never is drawn from the sheath. The difference between a spiritual pygmy and a spiritual giant is the Word of God. Big Christians, strong Christians, 
are Bible Christians. I want you to look. The second thing, steps of spiritual maturity is separation from the world and unto God. Look at verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. This world cannot offer you anything that Jesus Christ cannot better. Do you realize that? Anything this world can offer you, I promise you Jesus is better. I mean, anything the world can give you, it won't last anyhow. I mean, you've heard me say this. Marcia's got a favorite saying about any material things. It'll all burn. It'll all burn. It's not going to last. Anything this world gives you will not last. And let me say this. Even if it could last, it won't satisfy you. I can promise you it won't satisfy you. Reminds me of two stores I heard about. One on one side of the street put up a sign. Said, if you need it, we have it. The other store across the road put up another sign and said, if we don't have it, you don't need it. Listen to me, friend. If God doesn't have it, Christian, you don't need it. And let me go further with this. Not only do you don't need it, you should not want it. Okay? The great Pentecostal, or actually the holiness preacher, Uncle Buddy Robinson. Some of y'all may have heard his name. I've used him once or twice in illustrations. Many years ago, some friends of his took him to New York City. He'd never been to New York City. He's excited to go. He got to see all the lights and the sights and the sounds and, and, and all that. And he went back to his hotel room that night and his uh, roommate with him that night was in the bathroom getting ready for bed. Uncle Buddy was kneeling by his bed praying. And Uncle Buddy said this. He said, thank you Lord for see New York City and all that it has. But most of all, I thank you that although I saw all that it had, I didn't see a cotton-picking thing. I'm going to tell you something, folks. He had learned the secret of separation from the world and separated unto God. There's a final thing. Growing in Jesus. Look at verse 17. That satisfaction with the will of God. And the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but listen to this. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. You know what John's saying? The moon, is when it is darkened, when the sun has fallen, the people of God will shine like stars in the night sky for all eternity. Abideth forever. The greatest place in the world to be, Christians, right in the center of God's will. And the man that does the will of God abides forever. I'll close with uh, uh, this illustration. Many of you know the name D.L. Moody. Now, of course, he was a great evangelist. He shook the world, actually, for real, shook two continents for Christ, and it actually reverberated around the world. He preached Jesus to everybody he met. Uh, there, there's Moody uh, Publishing Company. There's Moody Bible Institute. There's Moody Radio. There's all these things. Well, they're all named after this man, D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody, when he died, and, and you know, his, he's used in pulpits all across the globe every Sunday for illustrations. But I thought this one really fit. When he died... This is what they put on his tombstone. It was this verse right here. He who does the will of God abides forever. So the stars shine over the land, the stars shine over the sea. The stars look up to God above, the stars look down on me. The stars will live for a million years, for a million years in the day. But God and I shall live in love when the stars have passed away. May I ask you, Christian, are you satisfied? with the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you satisfied with God's will for your life? I'm going to tell you this. When you are satisfied with nothing less, nothing else, and nothing 
but the will of God, then you're reaching that pinnacle of growing up in Jesus. You're reaching that point of spiritual maturity when you're satisfied with God's will. No matter what else I have or I don't have, I got Jesus Christ. No matter what I believe I have or, or plans I've made, they don't matter. I'll follow God's will. When you come to that point, that's when you really truly know you're growing in Jesus Christ. You're growing up in your spiritual life. Would you bow your heads, please? Miss Teresa and Brother Olive is going to come. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation. Now, if you're here tonight and you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, you've never established that relationship with Him, that covenant with God, then you need to do that. That's, that's number one. But secondly, if you have done that, then I'm going to ask you, what stage of spiritual growth are you at? How far have you grown up in Jesus? Are you at the little child stage? Are you at the young person stage where you're growing, you're maturing day by day? Are you at the father stage where you've come to the point to where you're not only growing, but you're leading others to Christ and you're leading them to grow as well? Which stage are you in? You know, some people get stuck in the stage, the stage of being a child, an immature Christian, and they're there their whole life. There's nothing wrong with being a baby, but there is something wrong with staying a baby. Time to grow up in Jesus. I pray you begin to do that. Father, thank you for your word, for the guidance it gives. God, for the power that it gives us in our life to uh, follow your will. I thank you that you have spoken to us in your word. You have, have showed us and laid it out for us if we'll just study if we'll just apply it to our lives. I pray for those tonight that perhaps need to come forward and just have a, have a time of quietness with you and, and bow at the front and pray. Or those perhaps that are here, somebody here that they don't know you. They've been to church for years and years, but they've never surrendered their life to Jesus Christ. I pray tonight would be the night. And then I pray for those who need to, God, ask for repentance in their Christian life and ask for the joy of your salvation to be restored to them so that they could begin to grow and mature in Jesus Christ. Father, I love you and thank you for your patience, your long-suffering with us. But I also thank you for the fact that you expect us to respond because you are a holy God and a righteous God. In Christ's name, amen. Would you stand, please?